Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Match Ball Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host Rohan, and like always, we have a very, very special guest on this episode. Now we've been to the same school. Uh, he is a senior of mine, and currently he is pursuing. Uh, so his trajectory is very, very interesting, and he has a very wide passion for sports. He is a chartered accountant. He's also secured a degree in ACCA, and he's now. despite the financial uh, attachment in the beginning of his professional career he's now pursuing masters in sports business management it is my pleasure to welcome abhishek marathe from my school onto this podcast hi abhishek and thank you so much for joining me i i given the fact that you're not prepared an introduction that was really that was really, <laughs> that was a really flattering introduction but yes we uh, i think uh, there was in school we didn't Know each other much? We just knew of each other. I think right. we never interacted. Whatever interactions we've had after has mostly been football, right? And due to CA, I think that's probably right. the reason why right. why we got in touch. And of course, because of your podcast, which I, I mean, I mean, it's always fun to see people who are doing or have done chartered accountancy sort of step out of that stereotype and do something on the side. Uh, hopefully. this becomes something that you can do full time as well i'm hoping that might be something that you would enjoy yes like, yeah i don't have a good record with uh, saying things and manifesting in the football world and then those things don't happen so i don't say i don't predict anything i just do this and hope yeah. for the best and prepare for the worst that is um, yeah. my motto i think in school yeah. we interacted i think uh, we used to have uh, in a competition uh, selecting the juniors for the inter house competition and i think that's yeah. the only time we uh, interacted and i think you Correct. were the head boy at one point of time in our school yeah. so that was a very brief yeah. interaction we had but i think uh, i think yeah. like you said post school the interaction we've had is mainly sports based and i've been uh, reading your threads that you put out on the clubs and the analysis app of financials of the uh, of of their performance annual of the annual performance and one thing i forgot to mention in the intro is that abhishek is a very very uh, passionate sports uh, fan and he likes to analyze sports from a financial point of view so somehow he marries the two worlds that he is uh, very passionate about so that is also something that we will get into later and that is kind of the theme of this uh, this episode it's not going to be one of the have you seen this match how is the reaction to that and what do you think would happen and etc we are going to talk about a lot of things we're going to talk about a lot of uh, intricacies that have happened and a lot of events that have happened in the football world over the past few years and uh, without further ado let's jump into uh, the biggest uh, question that abhishek might have as a liverpool fan so he supports liverpool and the biggest a uh, biggest uh, issue right now with him and his fan the the supporters is mo sala mohammed sala's renewal and the delay done by fsg i'll i'll give you the floor and just take it out i mean just spill out spill it out <laughs> it's it's very it's very easy to spill it out because it's usually when you see sala playing you really feel like yeah i mean come on you you got to give him whatever he asks for so the straight out answer to that for me and for i think anybody who watches the game i'm sure you would always also say that is Yes, give him what he wants, whatever he wants. Put it on paper. Just give it to him. I think, like you said, in terms of when you look at it from the side which you and I would look like, is what's the financial implication of this? Why is there a hold up? 
that's where things become a little more complex and to be fair i don't have an opinion on this a very strong opinion on this and the reason why despite being a liverpool fan why i don't have an opinion on this is because liverpool has inherently very similar to spurs had a very very structured wage budget they'll not go out of their way and have 500000 400000 uh, pounds per week contracts the way city and united would have they've inherently had a very structured contract and at the top of that pyramid of sorts where you'd say uh, the best players in liverpool play there's van dijk at the top you have thiago now coming in and salah at the top so on and so forth who, who are in the range of 200000 uh, per week excluding bonuses the problem is that when you break it for one player how do you then structure it for everybody else because just a few months ago just before beginning the season van dijk fabinho alisson all of them have renewed their contracts on upgrades which have not been very exorbitant so when you say let when if sala gets a 350000 contract which if you look at the market is not exorbitant at all given the fact that you have david de gea and paul pogba and these players romelu lukaku in... also he's on 325 exactly exactly or you have i'm sure jaden sancho is earning higher right. than sala so if you strictly look at what the market is willing to pay for sala absolutely but in the hierarchy that's been created at liverpool what van dijk can come up to the table and say in 2019 i was sitting next to ronaldo and messi in contention for an award i was given pfa players of the year i was given fan i think players player of the year right right i had a stellar 2019 and that's a year and a half before i'm negotiating my contract and then i had an injury so why he can come to the table and say why was if i'm agreeing to the your structure and saying i know my market worth is probably 350000 i'm still because of my loyalty for the club i'm staying in the limits it's it's i'm not sure the financial implications it can have on the team ecosystem so i feel it's 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 not a simple answer as to what sala deserves and what he gets it's about what implications it has in the whole hierarchy of the club it's it's a tricky situation to handle my guess is that liverpool want to create a situation whereby his wages are highly incentive driven and he still struck st- sticks in the same bracket where he is 15 20% up and down of where he is and then massive load on his incentives per goal bonuses per assist bonuses per appearance bonuses and so he he naturally or indirectly will stand to inherit somewhere close to the 400000 figures but he'd still fit somewhere close to the 250 280000 bracket which is not very high compared to the other standards but it's still at the top of the tree so that's 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 my guess is that and that's my say that you know a, a highly incentive driven uh, contract would probably be a good shout for the ecosystem in which he is because, i mean trent alexander on that can today stand up and say if i go out in the market i'm going to get whatever i ask for because i'm probably one of the best right backs in the world right. and i'm just 20 what am uh, i in my early 20s exactly i'm, I'm going to get whatever i want but i'm staying here and i'm negotiating my contract because i want to stick to the uh, contractual ethics that the club sticks to the philosophy that the club sticks to so it's 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 a very gray area to have a clean opinion about but as a fan yes as somebody who's just looking at it as a club 
I say it's it's not that easy as all of us really want it to be. So that's that's kind of my say on that in in with regards to Salah's contract. But I'm hoping that they get it sorted very soon. I, I mean that's that's something I believe in because we've got a good, very steady backroom staff. We know right. that he wants to see. Strategically for him, it'll be a stupid decision to now move. Because the thing is, 31-32, he's not going to get a four-year contract anywhere he goes. Right. It's going to be a two-year, three-year short deal where he goes. And it's, it's to be honest, going to Spain right now doesn't make sense. Probably three years before, three years ago, it made sense to go to the Spain, go to the Madrids and the Barcelonas. Now it doesn't make sense going there. The only other place then is either to Germany, so you go to Bayern or you go to PSG. Right. Because that's kind of the... I'm guessing Salah wouldn't want to go to any other Premier League club. So, I mean, the other factor that doesn't work in Salah's case is that he doesn't have a lot of leverage in terms of what the market is going to be for him. He'll be given whatever he asks for, but then it's it's going to be a very different shift for him. It, it won't be very... He's got about a couple of handful of... like. On one hand, you can count the number of options he has where he would be able to say, right, apart from my what I want as a contract, what my aspirations are as a player to win stuff. In France, it's not going to be as challenging day in, day out. Neither right. is it going to be as challenging in other leagues as it is for him to play against a, a tightly knit Burnley team. Away right, absolutely. Yeah, and like, so, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. So, that, that, that's kind of my say on this. Right, so you, I mean... Like you said, his options are PSG or Bayern Munich. So, it's either a round of 16 or a quarter-final or semi-final exit in France. Or it's a, <laughs> uh, it's a sure shot Bundesliga in Germany. Other than that, nothing is predicted. Uh, right. But, I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, Liverpool might go for an incentivized-based structure for him. Where the incentives right. are virtually certain. How big of an impact does that make? I mean, uh, financially, if I would like, if I would bring that angle... If you are virtually certain that certain incentives would convert into expenses for the club, then won't mm-hmm. that affect the wage structure? I mean, a virtually certain ex- expenditure is to be accounted for uh, irrespective of whether it happens. I mean, if it doesn't happen and if the chance of it not happening is very close to impossible, right. then it would obviously be accounted for. So, I, I'm curious as to how the virtually certain incentives would not fit the wage structure. That's my question. Um. So, in... To rephrase what I said, in terms of fitting the wage structure, what I mean is as a club philosophy wage structure. So when okay. it, because okay. inherently it's going, it's it's a media perception. Football is now a emotional media perception game now. So when you say Salah is on a three hundred fifty thousand base salary contract, then the discussion starts about how the hierarchy is now changing in Liverpool. And so everybody from now who's going to come to the table to renegotiate his contract is going to have higher expectations. Right. Now, if if the club says, okay, you want a higher contract, here's what we're going to do. You're going to get a 250,000 contract and you get a 10 assists. This is what you get. You get 10 goals. You get this. The, the good part about that is the club's going to say, right, if if a player's getting me such results, inevitably, the club is finishing higher. Right. So, whatever I'm going to be expending in incentives, it's indirectly going to flow back to me through some sort of a broadcasting or commercial deal or some sort of a uh, inflow of money in terms right. of either from the Champions League or finishing higher in the table. So, the more you link the inflow of money and the outflow of money, it's easier to do that through incentives and performance. Right. Because individual incentive is ultimately going to drive 
a group performance right so so that's that's sort of why i come from the angle of driving incentives because when sala if on a weekly basis he's scoring let's say one goal every week he's he's getting play, paid 25000 pounds if sala scoring one goal per week and that 25000 is for per goal he's scoring 38 goals for me and this is a very theoretical explanation i'm giving he's right. giving me 38 goals from the season right right that means if one player is giving me 38 goals i'm fairly certain i'm finishing in the top 2 or top 3 right so i don't mind sp- spending that amount if that gives me a certainty of finishing easily in the top 3 and taking the title challenge down to the last couple of weeks of the season okay, okay. so that's sort of the logic behind having an fair. incentivized uh, wage budget fair so in very simple terms we can say marginal revenue and marginal cost would be balanced out yes, so your financial position will ultimately remain the same somewhat right. somewhat same exactly right right, right so right. that's the logic behind incentive based wages right right so yeah i mean sala i mean from a neutral perspective and uh, not a neutral but a rival perspective i would not want to see sala in the liverpool jersey because that would mean more challenges for chelsea and other teams uh, as well but from a neutral perspective the joy of watching him and play and score such goals you would want to see him in the premier league which is also touted as the best best league in the world Now talking about best league in the world will shift the attention to what is touted as the most entertaining league in the world. Now this is a very very controversial right. take, and uh, you are in one of the uh, cities or towns which hosts a team which plays in the most entertaining league. We are not talking about the the Bundesliga or the the French league or the Spanish league. We are talking about EFL Championship. Now you are staying right. in Sheffield. You are uh, I think I think you saw a few matches at Bramall Lane also. how is the environment there is it really that entertaining or is it just something that people want to market and drive media and more attention towards it is that is why they are doing it ah uh, that's a very that's a very nuanced question cuz how do you define entertaining are you talking about the football or are you talking about the event the spectacle that is efl maybe a bit of both i can i, I if i if i get a match which is always a 2-2 or a 2-3 or a 4-2 with with mm. a few red cards and a, a bit of feistiness here and there i would mm. doubt that to be as entertaining rather than a nil nil burnley watford draw which can happen at any point of time in the premier league right. that's what right. i that that's the angle i'm coming from right right um Okay, so in terms of the football, I'd say the straight answer is no. It's not. It's not at the level the that the Premier League plays at. Because, like, I'd say I'm in a decently placed position to say that because I, the first match I saw was uh, Sheffield United play Southampton at Bramall Lane. Okay. And I watched another Championship game, which was Barnsley against Sheffield. Okay. So I've seen a Premier League team play against an EFL team and an EFL team play against an EFL team. Okay. And there's a stark difference between the quality with which teams play. So, in terms of the quality of football, no, the mm-hmm. Barnsley and Sheffield game was quite a downer in terms of the quality of play. I can see you respectfully uh, holding back, and no. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You might end up at one of these clubs at some point in yeah. the future. So, you'd want to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll do that. As yeah, well. yeah. See, that always works. You you don't get in yeah, trouble at all. <laughs> but yeah so uh and to be fair it shouldn't be at the i mean if if the game was at the level of the premier league that club would be playing there and it's sort of a process of moving from there to the premier league and so i'm i'm sure i mean sheffield is still very much in the running and i'll get to that point soon 
but the quality of football which southampton played with despite the fact that they weren't really doing well at that point of time in their season um it was a, it you could see the difference between individual players and the philosophy with which teams play sheffield united has a very stark philosophy of playing they've got their uh, center half somehow sometimes going on overlaps and they've got a back five that's right. very fluid so they they have a very nice structure to be fair okay. so they have a very unique way of playing so when you watch them as some as as if you want to look at the football it's it is entertaining it is it's quite fun to watch uh, but it's in terms of the quality that individuals can bring to the table no i'd say no it's it's not at the same level um having said that as a spectacle it's it's fantastic i mean after getting here i'm already invested in sheffield getting promoted okay so and and the the fun part of why it's in, called entertaining is because in the premier league if you're sixth you don't have a chance of getting to the top two top three whenever or whatever right. it is the best possible chance you have is fighting for the champions league spot at at best right in the efl the top 6 anybody can end up in the premier league <laughs> and that's amazing because the promotion happens in a way whereby the top 2 get promoted and then the third promotion is happens in a playoff series okay yeah and so for that third fourth fifth sixth will vie yeah 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 now automatically you instead of having four teams vie for a top 3 spot you got six teams possibly even now you got six now seventh and eighth are saying hang on a minute if we get a couple of results our way in the last three or four fixtures this could be a good fight so now we've got seven involved now we've got eight involved so that inherently means that you've got half the half of the table till the last few weeks of the season still saying we can play in the premier league right and that's that's the entertaining part that's what people mean when they say entertaining that there are eight teams or nine teams if it's a really really tight season you've got almost half of the league saying right you never know we can finish in the top four we we need couple of results our way four or five results towards the fag end of the season and we're in right and that's the entertaining part so in fact i was i was talking to a, a friend of mine on the same course we would he's a local uh, and we were just discussing about the fact that uh the last playoff game that happens to figure out the third finish gets paid more than the last game that the premier league champion oh, plays oh okay there's inter- because in terms of spa- spon- sponsorships for those events in terms of uh, advertisements run at, at half time in terms of uh, advertisements run outside the stadium inside the stadium on the on the sidelines all of this it's it builds up to a crescendo right because exactly. 90 minutes and you're either playing in the cream of the cream or you're going to get stuck there right and try next year which might or might not be your yeah yeah that's the fun and entertaining part of it that's where you know even if you're out of it you're not really out of it right. so that's the entertaining part of it right so and I'm, i and maybe sheffield might be in that space, same space so we so that's why we were oh we should go for the west brom which game because if sheffield beat west brom yeah. they're going to replace them at seventh right and i think west that's brom the, right now they fired their manager and that's why they are also in a bit of a turmoil or something i read somewhere precisely so so uh, there's a lot of firing there's a lot of yeah, yeah. Uh, the games harder in the efl they go in a lot uh, in the premier league you one mistake causes a lot of damage like your right back commits a little right. bit more right, than right, should right. have it will probably result because that's the quality at which you're playing in the efl 
um there'd be more chances created but the final output might not be the same so you'd have a lot of out of your seat moments but the scoreline might be 1-0 okay so as, so that that is very common for me as a chelsea fan so i'm very used to this <laughs> i'm very very used to this happening that was the entire <laughs> season on the lap well i'm good no i i'm, I'm I, I, that will definitely not happen that is something right. that i'm very very certain <laughs> about but the yeah. but i i can relate to a lot of championship fans when the third the, right. the output in the third half is so pathetic that you end up doing you end up getting out of your seat and just sitting right back in correct who is the correct. manager of sheffield right now Oh, they replaced him. I'm not. I'm not sure who is who he is right now. I forget. It's very weird to pronounce. I think that's why I okay. keep forgetting his okay. name. Okay. And but, and is Chris uh, Wilder still a legend amongst the entire locality? He is. He Even is, though he is, is the manager of Middlesbrough, he's still a legend. He is. I mean, he did a he did a pretty good pretty job, good job. bringing Sheffield to the Premier League, having them play the way they did, and you know, almost almost played. finishing. I think it was pre-pandemic. They were fifth. And then exactly. I think that was the reason for their entire downfall when they fell to ninth, which is still very yeah. respectable, very very respectable. Yeah. yeah, but I think he he's I think that was why uh, I had a lot of I have a lot of respect for Chris Wilder. I have a lot of respect for Nuno Espirito Santo as well. Right, because they come with a style that uh, Marcelo Bielsa as well. Right, right. You come with a style that you've devised is very unique to your team, which can't be replicated by anybody and very tough to break down. Like, right. You can see how they're going to play. Like you know what's going to happen. You know that some point of time a center half is going to go on an overlap. Right, right. But teams still weren't able to figure out how do we get past those overloads. Right. And so it's it's fun watching those teams play. Right. That's that like Absolutely. with Leeds, you see him, you see him man mark and stick to the same style. Yeah. Even if he's four. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I think that's 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 the fun part. You and 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 the fact that EFL brings in a lot of talent to the Premier League as well. Right. So you have Premier League scouts. You have Premier League managers sometimes come down and watch them. You have youth team managers come down and watch games. So that's the it's it's that element of chance that also team players in the EFL have. That right. You never know. For one match, somebody might be down, and I I have a good game. and you know next next thing i know i'm being talked about in the next transfer window exactly which happened with william carvalho right uh, not william uh, uh, fabio fabio carvalho uh, fabio yeah, carvalho yeah, yeah. all, all the big clubs are now like having out to take looking at him and i think you guys right? tried to sign him and you could not because of the deadline day and all of that exactly exactly so that that's the anticipation that efl brings as well so for players as well it is to answer your question it is entertaining in a lot of facets and then it is also the hype in lot of facets right but it it's it's fun it is entertaining to answer right. your question right most entertaining i'm not too sure <laughs> i think most entertaining for us is is the one that our team plays in and keeps winning so that can Precise. be that can be the champions league or for us it can also be the carabao cup which we are scheduled to play for exactly. can be an entertaining exactly. one and i think uh, to 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 reflect on the one point you said that where have we seen a third versus fourth Place match happening at Wembley in a sold out crowd, which exactly. which exactly. I don't think happens, and it's celebrated as if they have won something, which is they basically come third. Exactly, exactly. I, I mean th- that was one thing which when when I was when I just started following football and I explored the other league, that was something that was very confusing for me. Like first and second, right. they get nothing, like no such kind of celebration, no yeah. such kind of attendance, and the third and fourth get such a. More massive, massive turnout all the time for their match at yeah. Wembley. It's always yeah. played at Wembley, also. 
exactly exactly right right so good i'm i'm happy that uh, you've become one of the locals it's it's somewhat like a, a, a you know a ted lasso story i don't know if you've seen the show but uh, you haven't seen the show oh, oh you it. have to see it you have to see it yeah you can you can watch it on apple tv but uh, <laughs> i get it yeah <laughs> Yeah, we will talk. We will talk off the recording. That that will be much better <laughs> yeah. because I don't want this conversation to be in the public domain, especially this segment of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. So coming, uh, right. focusing our attention back to the Premier League now. Right. Uh, two huge events have happened in the in the past month, in the past few months. Okay, Correct. one was very very public. I mean, all the media uh, had its attention on it. The uh, the fans had their attention on it. They were practically begging for the event to take place. Yeah. which is of course the newcastle takeover which yeah. which was there for a very 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 long time i mean i remember i think a year or back or even before mm. the news of a yeah. saudi consortium just triggered the entire media outlets yeah. in in, in yeah. england and some in favor yeah. some against then i think it was newcastle fans demanding mike ashley to release the yeah. club all of this was happening and now finally after years of turmoil the club has finally been taken over by the saudi consortium that is the one uh, more spoken about event and the more the second event that kind of went under the radar but was still very significant was the southampton mm. takeover mm. backed by a serbian businessman i don't know his name but i know the company sport republic they took yeah. over i think 80% for 100 million so i yeah. mean city paid 100 million for jack grealish and that guy paid 100 million for southampton just for yeah. comparisons and you and you can be the judge of which one will be a better return on investment in the in the future of course correct yeah so i just want your thoughts from a financial perspective about the newcastle takeover and then the southampton takeover first the newcastle one correct oof uh i think there are a couple of very big differences between those but uh, firstly talking just about the newcastle takeover i think it was more of a show of power in terms of the value of the deal uh because to be fair they didn't they wouldn't have had to pay so much money regardless in term with with the resistance mike ashley had in terms of the performance in terms of his history with fans it's not been exactly great he tried to rename uh, st james's park as sport direct park the sports direct stadium because that's the company he owns yeah yeah and he had a tremendous backlash so it's not exactly been super i guess which is fair with all owners and fans it's never exactly very nice because fans expect their owners to act like fans as well you know they yeah, care they, basically they, exactly they yeah. they expect their owners to care exactly so um to be fair that deal could have gone in cheap but that was sort of like a uh, show of power like we're in the market we're ready to make those big moves you know we're ready to come in and the the philo- the main difference in philosophy is that newcastle's new direction is of uh, recruiting from the directly active market of players who have been proven outside the premier league or inside the premier league but who are sure shot buys right you know players who are going to be established players players who've shown good quality southampton's takeovers and the direction in which they want to move is strictly uh, playing a sort of money ball game if you will right in terms of very intelligent recruiting from the grassroots picking on talent that's not been exactly seen uh sort of gambling on those players who fall in the gray area and you know uh, bring them in and train them because uh so there's a man called Ankerson who's who's now going to be a very very big figure in the sport republic 
uh, ecosystem and he was he was heavily involved in the Brentford promotion. He was he was with Brentford for a very long. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. But he he was with Brentford primarily through their promotion stage as well. And so he was he he was the I guy. Think, who I'm was, sorry to interrupt you, but I think he he's also the owner or uh, related to Statsbomb, which is the uh, company that looks after stats for Brentford, right? If I'm not wrong. Right. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing because he is heavily his. When, when they came out with the strategy with which they're going forward, they were very clear in terms of uh, using a lot of technology and a lot of data science to uh, find out who they're looking for. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's a fact. And so that's, that's, that's the difference between wh- where they see the club, the individual clubs moving. One is, as you already see, they bought Chris Wood, Newcastle bought Chris Wood. And so they, they are not willing to really go down the uh, intelligent recruiting and uh, a cheap buy and except exponential returns. They're, right. they're not really trying to go down that direction. Whereas Southampton's been very clear about excellent recruiting. They have a fantastic youth academy. They've they've created legends. Nothing short of legends, to be honest. And right. given us most of those, to be fair. Um, but um, so so that's that's the sort of strategy difference. The other difference also is that the de- the value deals is a very blanket statement, right? Three hundred right. million. One right. Like you know, and I know that the deals happen very. They are a lot more complicated right, than right, that. Right, right, right. Because it can be like with because with Southampton, uh, they had a bit of. Uh, I think they they owed quite a bit of money to the group undertakings as well. They've got about eighty million in group undertakings. Right now, prob. I mean, the the deal can be structured as simply as hundred million as the market value or the value at which the club's been brought, and. It's also factored in that the 80 million would be as a repayment of loan on on the club's behalf, but because it's just a repayment of loan to the previous group undertaking, it doesn't fall under the purview of actual value of the right. Right. So the deal value might actually have been a little bit more, uh, but strictly speaking, the hundred million does seem small, but the complexities of it are are a lot more different than right. Really. Uh, you know, visible. Because I think uh, Gao Jieshing, who who bought the club before, he bought it for 210, 210 million, I think. Right. Okay. So and he and he didn't. It's kind of like Mike Mike Ashley as well. He wasn't exactly having a good time with the fans. They were upset with the stagnation he had brought into the club. He wasn't. He wasn't really taking out any money, but he wasn't spending any money either. Right. So I think I think it. Th- there are a lot of factors that come into play. So just ha- making a blanket statement of whether that deal was a cheap buy or an expensive buy would be ignoring some very important factors that I'm sure the clubs uh, sort of work around and try to make sure that it mar- matches the market value with which they're dealing with. But it's 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 a very interesting buy. I think I'm I'm more excited to be honest to see what Southampton do than what Newcastle are going to do strictly because it's a case of uh, optimizing resources rather than uh, increasing those resources and expending even more. Right. So I'm very interested with what they are going to do going ahead. Yeah, and uh, I think I read in an article that Southampton's intentions were not like Newcastle's to, like you said, get instant success and challenge for the top six or the top four. Their aim is to kind of replicate what Manchester City's owners have done, is like to have a club at each continent playing at a mm-hmm. decently good level and ensuring that they get mm-hmm. a good return on investment. So it would right. be very interesting to see which clubs Southampton target 
and if they want to target an upcoming market like india where isl is now getting more and more traction and we mm. see partnerships between uh, clubs here and clubs in the yeah. in, in europe it would be very interesting to see maybe we can see southampton backed uh, teams playing in the local leagues and that can yeah. result in an influx of talent both here and as well as there now uh, shifting our attention back to the newcastle uh, side of things they have had a fantastic summer window like it was literally raiding the market it was it was like handing a kid a 10 dollar or a 20 dollar or a 1000 rupee uh, not 1000 500 rupee note and just say go in the market and buy whatever you want that's literally yeah. what they did but we have seen it's very hard for people to uh, replicate or implement success right from the in the january transfer window so to mm-hmm. speak i mean the yeah. last very good january signing i remember was bruno fernandes from sporting to man united yeah. and i think yeah. luis suarez was also a january signing so yeah. these are very few examples of good signings that and good deals of business uh, that have happened in january newcastle yeah. i got know how many players they have signed uh do you think that any of those players can give an instant impact along with the existing team that they have and i mean do you think that they will be able to survive relegation given the amount of business they have done oof that's a very it's a very interesting question to be fair i've from what i've understood from uh, uh, reading about recruitment that happens especially at the top of the ladder uh, the managers and management usually say that if this player if we would have targeted this player in the coming summer window regardless then we're just preponing his arrival right that's usually what happens when uh, like for example it happened with van dyke right and with luis marquez the club was going to pursue him in summer regardless so it it makes inter, it it stays with the philosophy of the club that this is going to happen which is trying to prepone it he was going to fall into the plans but ultimately we just decided to prepone it for whatever reasons we felt suitable now that's that sort of sticking to what you wanted to do it was a sure shot decision but you still pulled it back the problem here with newcastle is that there are too many things happening with them right if if they weren't in the relegation battle this would have just been a no show season for them just get through this season and then in summer let's regroup and then let's go let's go ahead right they if hired eddie how who i absolutely love but he's he's not been in such a situation before it's right. a new thing for him as well he's not a carlo ancelotti or a rafa benitez who 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 can sort of who's been through such uh, different ups and downs of managing such situations so he's he's a, he's a, he's new to the game as well and so there's a big likelihood that this could well this could end up very much like a i don't know chelsea situation or an arsenal situation till before arteta where eddie howe is just the transitionary manager and then some or even like uh, like nuno espirito the way he Precisely. was signed by right. would be a better example right right so that it's he's just a transitionary manager who's going to give a face to the club an established face to the club but next season is going to be somebody like a i don't know a mancini or a pellegrini or who, who have you i don't know so it's it's tough to see what the vision is for the club and when that's the case i think that's that's where the real problems start having said that i think there are a lot of clubs around them who can tank equally i think i think they've i mean burnley's uh, doing okay but i'm not sure how they're going to do it uh, leeds are floating up but it's still tough for them you've got you've got a couple of teams who are really struggling down there as well 
and so it's an open table but my 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 bet is that newcastle have done just about enough to move up just okay. about enough somewhere close to the 16th spot would be i guess where they end up and that's only because of my faith in eddie howe okay because i, I really enjoy him i was absolutely bummed when bournemouth got relegated because i really liked him he was a really good manager right, so right. i think i think they I, my guess is that they make it past the relegation battle Right. That's, what about what, do you think? What's your take on that? Uh, my take is from a neutral and an entertainment point of view. I would want them to stay up because that would mean even more crazy business in the summer, and that would mean even more unheard of stipulations and uh, speculations that form into reality. Right. Uh, right. But like you said, the other teams are performing up more worse than them. And I feel Newcastle yeah. have this X factor in the form of Alan Saint Maximin, who just mm. in the middle of nowhere decides, like uh, you know that Thanos meme, like fine, I'll do it myself. That is that is the kind of player he is. Once he gets the ball, he might take over, he might uh, terrorize defenses, and then decide yeah. to yeah. ultimately uh, score goals and get the point. Yeah. So I feel yeah. that if you if you factor in that that part of him, and plus the defensive upgrades they have made, I mean Dan Burns is a good player who has proven himself in the Premier League yeah. with with Brighton, and they have had a forty million signing. I don't know how they landed that of as of Bruno. G, I don't know how to pronounce his surname yeah. from yeah. Uh, Leon. I mean, I think yeah. I remember Arsenal were chasing him, and I think a few more clubs were also chasing him. Yeah. And how has he ended up at Newcastle? How? Yeah. So yeah. if you if you if you bring if you bring these factors in, you have Chris Wood, who, given he's thirty, it's a twenty-five million yeah. is still a very rich buy. But uh, yeah. if he is there, if he's there in the box, if he's a poacher, if he's a person who can mm-hmm. head the goals properly, and if yeah. you have a player like uh, Alan Saint Maximin throw, throwing in balls mm-hmm. here and there, plus mm-hmm. let's not forget you have Joe Linton who can somehow radically play a game yeah. as if as the one of the best in the world and then flop in the next yeah. game. If you have so many variables, I think just from the probability side of things, Newcastle is more likely to stay up than to go down. So I would want them to stay up. I think they would stay up. They would finish 16th, 15th, I feel. Because the other teams who are down there are playing much worse. I mean, I am surprised Leeds are having this shocker of a season right now. Given that first the hype when they got promoted, then the first season that they had. And then last season, probably not the best. I think was last season there, uh, the the season they got promoted. I think they are here just for the second. Last to last. Last to last, yeah. I, I remember that that initial game they had with, with you guys at Anfield. When it was, uh, I think you were leading four by three or four goals and then they somehow got everything back and it cut the a, deficit. Roller coaster. I think 2-1, 3-1, 3-2, yeah. 4-2. And I think it was 3-3 for a very long period of time before it yeah. ended 4-3. So, yeah. this is very surprising for me. Norwich, I mean, I, I just feel that... How about Everton? Everton's just about the top zone, oh. to be fair. Yeah, I, I'm going to back Everton. I, I'm not yeah. I, sorry. Correction. I'm not going to back Everton. I'm going to back the manager of Everton and the backroom staff of Everton because that is practically Chelsea players picked up, Chelsea backroom staff picked up and put in a different situation. And I would That's really cool. want Everton to stay up because I I want to see Frank Lampard. I would want to see him reignite the, the rivalry with Steven Gerrard and have that clash that they used to have at club level as managers. Yeah. And then yeah. I want to I I live in this fantasy world where I would want to see Gerrard coming to Liverpool. And and Lampard coming back to Chelsea as a yeah. proven manager and then having that right. tussle. It would, it's just a script for a movie. So yeah, that, that all begins with Everton staying up. 
and i think they will i think they will i yeah. think uh, rafa did a very horrid job and i don't know uh, how he was back for so long i think the yeah. fans were unhappy with him very very early i think initially i think i think on the first day itself or something out of uh, uh, initially few matches day one so fans were there mm. then they started playing boring football but they still scraped out results so mm. i think fans were okay with that but then when they started losing left right and center against teams like watford and uh, the i think norwich also won against them i think they did 3-1 oh, or something yeah. i i'm not too sure about it but that i think was the final blow for uh, rafa and i think mm. he had player altercations as well with uh, luka dinia i think and uh, so all of this i think it's a perfect time for frank to step in he's a proven mm. championship manager i feel so i mean i know pe- people have this argument that yeah he finished 6th with derby and all of that but then you see that in his first year of management if he's playing for the playoff spot and then getting back to chelsea coming back to chelsea as a manager i know that was a very transitionary phase and he was just the face of the organization until the the next manager came in but still mm-hmm. getting top 4 promoting youth staying up uh, reaching the champions league quarter finals i know it's it doesn't sound much but these are very strong achievements that laid down the foundation for thomas tuchel to come in and mm-hmm. give all the results that we are seeing so frank lampard i feel is a proven manager up to an extent i would like to mm-hmm. see him resume that at everton and he has got players that he wanted like he got van de beek he got delhi ali i don't know how good of a signing delhi ali is but van der beek mm. is a very good signing very i don't remember which other players he signed but uh, i think they also got rid of some deadwood or uh, i mean the only blow for them is they got rid of luka dinia who was yeah. a very very good uh, player and i am equally bummed that he did not come to chelsea but i'll get into that later right. so i feel everton might just stay up if you implement a good and lampard plays mm. with i think a 4231 and i think if he implements that well at everton and if he mm-hmm. also promotes the everton academy there you never know they might stay up right so right. lots of things yeah. happening in the premier league and i am very happy that frank is back i mean i just love to see i mean he is a chelsea legend i think you mirror these uh, emotions when you see gerard play uh, gerard take over aston villa as manager you only supported him uh, entirely barring the liverpool game and you would want him to play well you would want him to get the results yeah. that you like I read somewhere that Suarez is coming to Aston Villa. I read somewhere that he wants yeah, a. Yeah, there was there was a rumor that okay. there was a rumor floating around, okay. but I'm I'm not sure I'm not too sure how much salts in there. Right. But yeah, I'm I'm actually going for the Villa Leeds game next oh, week. Oh, oh. So like and what seats do you have? Are you behind Gerard or you are far away somewhere? Oh, I'm I'm right opposite the dugouts. Okay. 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 So, so it'll be far farther out, but I mean. Yeah. I'll take anything I'll get yeah, at this point. Yeah, you can see a lot of throw-ins. That's all I think you can we'll be able to. See. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'll see Luka Dinia throw throw in a couple right. balls. I'll right. see Coutinho right. do a couple. But I'm, it's, yeah. it's my first prem game. So oh, I'm fantastic. About. See if you can ask Luka yeah. Dinia why he did not come to Chelsea on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the yeah. answer I don't think Luka Dinia can give that answer. I think I think nobody can give that answer. I think I yeah. I, I just I I mean I I read a bit about the Chelsea financials that have happened. This right. year was horrible for us. Horrible. I mean, last year mm-hmm. we had a 35 million profit. This year we have a 153 million loss. That's a yeah. that's a like proper downfall by 185 million. And the revenue that we have increased is only cyclical because the matches in 1920 got pushed to 2021 because of the pandemic. Yeah. So. Correct. 
if that would not have happened we would have had a very very bad even horrible even horrid result and yes. the player acquisitions i mean they helped but they did not help financially and right. player acquisitions lead to player amortizations lead to more wages right. and all of this all of this is without lukaku on the on the balance sheet he's right. not there that is going to happen in the next yeah. year so i mean i i i don't know i don't know what your perspective is on this but i feel that the the just the sentiment that why did we not sign a left back why did we not mm. the board is incompetent marina is incompetent yeah. we can't get rid of deadwood i think that is just uh, uh, your your will i mean just just a rant i mean you're not actually looking into the financials of it i mean correct player amortizations are going to increase like anything because we have had i mean a 97.5 million addition in the intangible mm. assets just for, just of one player mm. so to have another player come in january and then to manage his wages and mm. then add to the administrative expenses add to the other expenses i don't think it made a lot of sense mm. and i think the board anticipated that and that's why we uh, did not sign anyone we recalled uh, kennedy on loan from flamengo we have malang saru playing in the left uh, left wing back position uh so i mean i understand the sentiment of chelsea fans i also am a chelsea fan and i would also want i mean uh, i mean i if if it was me and if we were in a good position why not sign whichever left back we want in the world right mm. now but unfortunately that's not the case i think we are this year i think we are cash flow uh, we are cash flow negative but the negative is a very small amount like mm. only 700 800000 pounds which is which is not much so right it's not a good situation for us to sign someone right now right. and take on the already high amount of dead wood that we have right and uh, lukaku's wages are going to be 300000 plus 325k mm. then uh, his amortization is going to be insane so all of yeah. those things I, we had a net spend we had a what only a 10 million net spend in the summer we had players mm. going out but i don't yeah. think those players had wages the level of lukaku and right. i think that is the very reason why we could not sign another player i think that is why we chose to stick to our guns i know that is not something which dukel wanted and mm. i think more than chilwell's injury i think reese james injury was more problematic for us mm. because we could play aspi on the right wing and we can play reese on the left wing but when he is also gone It's yeah. unfortunate when you have Marcos Alonso as the only viable left back option. Yeah. I'm not even saying the the better or the, the only viable left back option, which right. is very right. scary. Which is it it does I yeah. I can't sleep at night when I think of Marcos <laughs> Alonso. I mean when he's when uh, I think uh, in a match or so I don't remember which one. I think Tarek Lamptey against Brighton. He terrorized mm-hmm. Marcos Alonso. He absolutely yeah. terrorized him. and i yeah. think th- I, and that was still not a wake up call for the board to they like, try and do something like can we get someone can we get right. it's 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 funny though it, you talked about player additions in your balance sheet uh, i think the bigger thing that sort of uh, and i think you'll be able to find that in the financials as well is that the problem is not just the player cost it's the wage budget that takes a big hit as well a player is going to come in at 200000 uh, a week that's going to cost you 10 million right. at least in his base salary right that's right. 10 million without the incentives the cost for player acquisitions without his that's just the base salary that you pay him regardless of what happens to him right and that's that's something that is easily overlooked in in the premier league and like you said you know 
you can't go left right and center signing players as much as you want and that's that's probably one of the things that of course transfers is something that's it's a topic that we'll uh, we can discuss at length but the thing is that with with wage structures the premier league does not have a capping mechanism and it's it, the capping mechanism is a very complex capping mechanism i don't think i'm not saying that's the only solution but the spanish league has that almost all of american sports have right. that that if you have 100 rupees coming in you can't spend 100 rupees going out in wages that's not how a club can remain sustainable right. and that's why you see so many teams going into administration right and so it's it's not it's a deeper rooted problem than having a backup left back who's not that good i think the problem is 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 deeper in terms of the philosophy of the club in terms of how your team roster looks like in terms of how your financials look like how you are uh, circling back to our first question that we discussed which is how does your wage structure look like how right. much of matching to the market can you do and how much can you actually afford and not just go on a spending spree so it's 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 a it's a complex uh, issue to figure out than just saying that right this is not working out we need to go out and right. buy somebody to replace him but hang on a minute he's on a four year contract with 250000 going out to him every week that's 10 million pounds going out to him every year for the next whatever number of years even right. if he's on as a backup add to that if he's going to play backup i can't sell him and at a Uh, price of 150% of what i bought him exactly or bought him at 50 if i'm benching him paying him 10 million every year and selling him at 20 what how how do i fund it fund this precisely so precisely absolutely yeah so it's it's a very complex uh, problem to deal with for clubs at any stage of growth be it at the top or even if you are in the efl right and i think yeah. like you said buying players is not easy and getting rid of players is also not easy at all i mean the exactly. the interview the classic interview that happened with yes. romelu lukaku i mean yeah. it was not a situation where we were like yeah okay fine you did this you said this you want to go back to yeah. inter piss off i mean i mean you you just can't do that and he is a 97.5 million dollar acquisition for chelsea you can't right. no club in the world would want to purchase him at that cost as well they would obviously okay. want a pay cut because this is in a way a stress sell so okay. you would not want i mean i i don't understand the the notion behind fans wanting this and obviously i mean i was also one of them i was also very passionate i was like i don't want to see this player play for chelsea again any time he celebrates mm-hmm. i think it's all just snake tears and whatever whatever mm-hmm. corporate tears whatever the phrase is but yeah. ultimately at the end of the day if you are paying him if he's the highest earner at chelsea and right. if you are not playing him it looks mm. not only just bad financially but you are answerable to your investors you are answerable to the right. shareholders you would want uh, them to expect you to play your touted as the best asset irrespective of whether it is performing or not and i think that is why uh, we have players like saul nigez on loan who we are not playing but we are paying him wages of excess of 100k a month 100k a week that is 5 million 6 million that you can use for let's say renewing someone else's contract and i think that is also why we are not able to land these contract renewals as easily as we would want them i mean we have this one uh, one policy i think which you are aware of that any player above 30 does not get a more than a two year deal so that that's one, something that liverpool starting as well oh they are 
So yeah, who, who yeah. would be the players uh, affected by this? I think Henderson would uh, be one. Chini Wijnaldum was was actually okay. that's that's the reason why he left. He wanted okay. a long term contract. Okay. Liverpool were not. I mean, of course, wages was a pro- wages was something that was up for discussion because to be fair, his demands weren't uncertain. I mean, right, he was right. earning lesser than Oxlade Chamberlain and Diwakari. That is that is so, I mean, his wage. Yeah, his wage demands were fair, but he also wanted a four year extension. He didn't get it. James right. Milner has been on a one year extension every season. Yeah. Uh, from now on, I think Jordan Henderson's next contract will also be uh, probably a year, year and a half, two years extension. So that's that's something that's actually Liverpool has. They made an exception for Thiago, mm. which I don't know uh, how that happened, but uh, that's something that Liverpool is doing as well. Right, right, and I think yeah. I, I mean, I can understand the player sentiment as well. They would want some certainty about their future. They would not want to play in an environment where they are playing for a year and they don't know where they're going to mm. play next and. Players above thirty, most of them would be married, would be have kids, would be have set, sure. would have settled lives, and that's why you can't just have a situation where they leave their life and go to a different country yeah. altogether. So yeah. I can understand these things that they would want to consider. Yeah, and uh, I think another from the Chelsea perspective, I think that's why Willian left because he, we were offering mm. a two-year deal, he wanted a three-year deal, and right. uh, I mean I can understand the sentiment, but at the same time, uh, Lukaku is on a four-year contract. And mm. he, or I think a five-year contract, and his contract expires when he turns thirty-two or thirty-three, which is a right. very scary thing. Very, very. <laughs> so we have paid hundred mil for a player who will end his contract at the age of thirty-two. Mm. And if that was Thiago Silva, I would take that in a heartbeat. But it's not Thiago right. Silva. It's Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> yeah. Thiago yeah. Silva is he's not thirty-seven. He's twenty-seven or he's even twenty-six. Yeah. He's, he's not thirty-seven. So There's yeah, no chances. Do you can you can you say that he has been the best defender this season or? Uh, one of the best defenders. I mean, do you think he's better this season, or is it Ruben Diaz, or is it Virgil Van Dijk? What would you, what would you say? Just throwing yeah. it out there. Ah, oh, um. To be fair, I've I've really liked Rudiger as well. I know he's he's had a, uh, and I've not watched all Chelsea games, but the ones I've I have watched, he's been very solid. He's been right. really solid. Right. So I'd say I'd say. Um, to be honest, and I had this discussion with a friend of mine as well, which is we we genuinely feel Joel Matip's looked as secure as Van Dyke right. this season. Right. He's looked really good. He's looked like he's been owning it since the season's beginning. But I'd say strictly because uh the high because of the high line that Liverpool's <laughs> been playing and a sort of um disjointed midfield because of injuries, because of a variety of reasons, I'd 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 say uh, Thiago Silva probably outshines Van Dijk just a little bit, right. just a little bit. I do think so because I think in, it probably comes down to the philosophy of it, right. uh, of how how Liverpool's been playing and how we've been conceding goals. And I, I'm not sure 100 how Chelsea have been conceding the goals they have been. But I'd say yeah, it's 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 a tough one. But I'd say Thiago Silva, objectively speaking, yeah, Thiago Silva's probably had one of his one of his. I mean, one of I've not seen a Chelsea centre half have such a good season since I don't know John Terry left. Right, I don't know exactly. I don't, I don't remember a centre half as strong and as dominating as right. uh, Thiago Silva. I mean, you have Aspilicueta, but I think Aspilicueta always goes under the radar because I mm. think Aspi the drawback for him to be one of the best players was that he played in an in the Hazard era. Right. So it's very difficult for someone to not look at Hazard and look at Aspi and then say like he's 
very well you can hear the commentator yeah. say he's aging like fine wine or he's as mm. he's always there in his cool and calm collected uh, cell okay. he just knows where to be he's there at yeah. the right time so when you hear these things again and again you can see that the player is definitely making an impact and his last minute interventions and tackles stop potential goals and potential runs as well so i mean to be very honest yeah. a friend of mine and i we were having this discussion and he said that when thiago silva was injured in the 34th minute of the champions league final i felt that we we i mean he felt sorry he felt that he had lost it because right. christensen is a very good player i i mean i give him that he's an academy product he plays brilliantly but he is not thiago silva he is not right. thiago silva there is only yeah. one thiago silva and personally just to rattle some of the 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 red devil fans i will always say that he is the best 37 year old in the league there is no other better 37 year old in the league in my opinion at least just to rattle a few a few fans here and there yeah why not why not why not exactly <laughs> so fair fair point yeah right so now you mentioned player valuations are very very complex uh, yeah. i mean i think i i heard a few episodes from one of the podcasts that i listened to ranks fc where they were talking with a player agent about how complicated those player uh, transfers can be uh, can you give me some examples of what could what could be the reasons why deals take so much time and why uh, players how these valuations effectively work from a sports yeah. management side of things yeah. and not the agent side of things um i mean starting off with the very basics uh, it comes down to where how happy he is in the current team he's playing with you know that that has a massive impact on uh, what happens with the valuation uh case in point would be philip coutinho's move to barcelona he just wanted to move he wanted to move he wanted that so it, it firstly comes down to whether the club wants him off whether the club wants to cash in on what uh, this club's uh, this player's current market value might be or whether he wants to go right you know and then the other stuff comes to comes into play playing time injuries uh one very important uh thing that is factored in is how many years does he left have left on the contract right uh, what is his current wage structure whether he wants to move at an equivalent club or whether he wants to move to a club that's uh, bigger than them then it starts going into finer details like for example which which are the clubs with which the selling club has good con- good uh, relations you know uh, liverpool has really good uh, relations with southampton they don't have really good relations with fulham that's one of the reasons why uh, i think and it was partly triggered by i think there was a harvey elliot uh, right. story behind yeah 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 liverpool have good relations with southampton despite that van dyke fiasco that happened van dyke fiasco was primarily driven by him he wanted that move and the club was putting up a resistance okay. i mean he, okay. he no cases of him uh, uh, turning up late for practice sessions or something like that okay, i think okay. that was primarily because he was he wanted that <laughs> okay. so uh, relations with liverpool and barcelona are not that good mm. with the coutinho transfer 
Oh, so it was Coutinho. Uh, I thought it was that uh, corner taken quickly. That's why the relations have deteriorated. I think that that, that <laughs> makes this relationship deteriorate. I mean, we, we, I'd say I have amazing relations with Barcelona. Let's do it. But, but I mean, in terms of the management and uh, those people coming into play, I think relations with relationships with Barcelona went sour when they put out a Philippe Coutinho poster before launching it, right. and then they took it down and stuff like that. So, and then when there are competing clubs who come into picture, that there are a couple of clubs who have interest in buying a player, then the club has to make a decision, right? Which is the most strategically correct decision to sell? Does it make sense uh, selling this player for 5 million less right now to a club and then having good relations, you know, letting them know, you know, we, you owe us one. And then we knowing that they've got good a good crop of talent coming up, we might have a deal in place. So, there are a lot of strategic things that come into play. Of course, agency is an entirely different ballgame altogether in terms of how the agents deal with it. Right, right. Managers don't usually deal with contract situations, is what is from what I know. They are not heavily involved. Of course, managers have different styles of managing, but... Most managers don't involve themselves in contract talks. They only communicate to the management how desperately want they want this player in the to fit into the team philosophy. Right. The rest is left to the club, the management, and the players' agents. Right. So, uh, and the player is so, sort of has a clarity with his agent as to how how sure he is for, to stay with this club. And then it's all up to the agents power of negotiation to say he's going to stay at the club if xyz things happen right so that's that's the staying part the the negotiation part is primarily comes down to relations that uh, clubs have with each other the financial fair play bit which now uefa and fifa are really putting in an effort to strengthen the efl is putting in an effort to strengthen them you know with derby county being in the position that they are there's a very heavy pressure on the English FA to come up with a very good solution to, I'm sorry, the EFL to come up with a very good solution to not have situations. Really, there are people, like for us, it's difficult to fathom it, but there are Derby fans who've been fans for 50, 60 years, you know, it's, you see when you go for a game, you see the closer you get to the stadium, you see people walking out of different lanes and you see an old couple holding hands with a walker in their hand, which is walking to the stadium. I remember talking to a um, couple who said, "Right, we've been we've been fans for as long as we've been married," and so it means a lot to a club. And so when football clubs go into administration, it's a big blow for such fans. Right, you know, it really means a lot to them. They, 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 it's it's one of those things where you say, "Right, I work extremely hard down at the mill for six days a week only so that I." On Sunday, when I switch on the television at 6, I get right. for two hours, I can just drown into that. Without right, right, absolutely. It's one of those things. So, uh, EFL and FFP, uh, FFP and uh, a financial regulation is something that is that clubs now need to figure out, with like, like how Barcelona had to do to accommodate the Ferran Torres transfer. Right. So, that's, that's, and that's, now it's getting easier for selling clubs to create more leverage. Right. You know, for transfers to happen. Add to that, in general, I was reading a research paper about English clubs generally end up paying a higher premium uh, for players regardless. Okay. So Not that's, just that's English it. players or any particular... All players. Not an English, okay. English players, you remember the English tax. English tax. Right, right, right. That's, that's, that's because the English 
the EFL model is very um, mar- it's as market oriented as it gets. Okay. In Spain, there is a set of regulations that you have to stick to. 70% of your revenue can be wages, not more than that. Okay. You have to file your financials in a particular way. They will be vetted. They'll be properly audited. In England, that's not the case. You had a year ago, you had Sheffield United spending 115% of their revenue Ooh, in wages okay. and staff costs and other expenses. So, and that that's putting a club into a lot of pressure. You know, you, on your keeping all your bets on the fact that they're going to get promoted and you're going to get more money from broadcasting and uh, commercial deals. So it's a big bet to place. Right. And so in England, it's it's a it's a very market-oriented uh, situation and, and selling clubs know that. They know that you've got a lot of money here. You have a lot of US-backed companies, US-backed, uh, US companies backing Premier League right. clubs. You've got Crystal right. Palace, you've got Arsenal, you've got... Aston Villa, you got Leeds, Liverpool, Manchester United, all of these clubs, almost half of the Premier League has some sort of uh, US company involved uh, in their ownership too. Right. So, you know they have the money. If they don't have the money, they're going to bring the money. And if they don't bring the money, their fans are going to give them a lot of shit about it. <laughs> there was a player transfer that was there for you to happen. There was a selling club identified. You knew the price tag. And especially when clubs don't perform after a, a transaction doesn't fall through. Right. So there's a lot of social pressure that comes into player valuations as well, and so uh, that's why the you you see now the had Harry and ha, now Harry Kane will not go for hundred million. No, he that's won't. He won't. That that that's definitely not going to happen. The last transfer window was his best way for Spurs to make a hundred million off of him and for him to go to City. Now, right. So another factor then that comes into the play is that the desperation of having that player in that particular moment as opposed to having that player six months down the line because now city can't city won't say we need him desperately they, right. they don't need him they're, they don't they're need him tearing apart teams united right. won't now Chelsea won't say we want yeah we have look unfortunately so, okay are, I don't <laughs> I'll, I'll not i'll not say unfortunately but i mean it is what it is it is yeah. what it is the the resp- the return on investment in so to speak in financial there. terms is not correct. there but yeah correct. go ahead go ahead so that's that's sort of listing down a couple of you know parameters which determine uh, what's the valuation of that and and add to that again if you're talking about uh, transfers of well established players then comes into the fact that right when i do a deal with messi I'm bringing it in a lot of commercial, commercial deals. deals. Right, right. And so that's 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 a factor that comes into play, which is why Madrid was very open to pay whatever they wanted to pay for Ronaldo when that transfer happened. Because they knew that they're going to recover a tremendous amount of money from Ronaldo's jersey sales. Just right, that. Right, right, right. Brand and everything, that's completely different. Just jersey sales is going to be a mammoth amount. And so I think. With bigger stars, it gets more complex because commercial deals happen in a very different way. You know, uh, the valuation of commercial deals also changes based on how much say the club has with regards to telling the player which commercial deal he can and can't do. Right. So you know, Neymar doing a, a commercial deal with I don't know Facebook for example, and the club having a say say on whether he can do that or not. That's going to determine a lot of things in that as well. And that that comes into picture, not directly, but indirectly when you have uh, people putting in investment, like, for example, uh, with the Arsenal case. If, for example, right. the Spotify owners were trying to buy right. Uh, right. Arsenal, right. 
and then let's say obama yang says that right i'm going to do an ad for another uh, music yeah, podcast yeah exactly they want to say no you can't do that that doesn't right. suit the image you know so so those things then come into play evaluation yeah. and commercial deals valuation so on and so forth so i mean i'm probably not even covering half of the factors that might be uh, right. affecting a player valuation but those are the ones that really off the top of my head i can think of yeah but yeah it's it's fairly complex yeah I I think uh, you said the complexity is I mean from your end you've covered the club side of things a bit. Right. I remember right. listening to that episode uh, of Ranks FC where they talk about agents uh, agent fees and everything. I think they said that a deal that on paper sounded so simple as AS Roma to Liverpool Alisson moving. It was one of mm. the most complex deals that people have had to deal with. I think a total of 60 plus parties had to go through the contracts and vet them so in one way or the other another player agents yeah. the government the the other arbitrators whatever who's whosoever they might be so i right. can only imagine and then you bring in all of these clauses you have certain yeah. you have players who put in very uh, agents sorry put in very reasonable clauses like a 20 goal 30 goal whatever might be and then you have someone putting in a ballon d'or clause Uh, at okay. a at a for a certain French player who is now not <laughs> playing at the club that he originally signed for, so so much of com- complexity in that statement. My God, I I have to be very careful about uh, about you know targeting clubs because yeah. uh, if my intention is to maybe have a collaboration in the future with so and so people, yeah. I would want to be careful. Yeah, it, I've always would have been... known this before the podcast started. Now I feel that I've gone it's after fine. a lot it's of friends. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> See, the risk for you is more than it is for me because for you, you have, you plan to do business and employment with them. Yeah. For me, this is this can be a part time thing. I can I can just. <laughs> I can go back to the old proven model of did you see this match? How was it? Etc. Etc. So, so it's fine for me. Here you go with making me feel good. Thank you. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It, it, everyone has their fair share of whatever. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, like you said, player valuations are very complex, and I think it's still surprising that given this market, the Neymar transfer is still the world record for the most highest transfer. I think it was two twenty-two million dollars. Yeah, and uh, do you think that the market ever since has become inflationary? I mean, somehow that one transfer has now, you know, had a snowball effect on each and every transfer, mm-hmm. or is it harsh to say that only one transfer has caused this? Yeah, I think I think it'd be hard to say that it's just that I think the market was building up to that regardless. I think um, with the number of. Um, Middle Eastern owners that are coming in, uh, the number, the amount of money people are willing to pour into football clubs, the amount of pull that football clubs have, it's literally exponentially growing every year. Like right. legitimately, right. every year it grows to a point where uh, the Premier League stopping would have a mammoth impact on the economy of uh, the UK and probably indirectly a couple of countries in the right. Europe as well. Right, right. So. Uh, It's not just that. I mean, you look at the Jadon Sancho uh, transfer as well. It was exorbitantly high. I feel for a player who's, yeah, fantastic player, but a player who's who I wouldn't say validated what he validated exactly at that point of time. Right. You know, uh, I'm 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 very bad with timelines. I'm not sure about uh, uh, whether the Neymar transfer happened after or before the Allison transfer. I'm not one hundred percent sure. I think Allison happened in twenty eighteen, right? 
right i think yeah, yeah, yeah so 20... i think it was before i think it was in 2017 i think right. it was 2017 yeah look at the like the osman dembele transfer right. as well so i right. think it was it was all building up to that moment i'd say it's 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 not i mean the the ronaldo transfer to real madrid you know hmm. uh, the problem is that now there are a lot of like a lot of flag bearers potential bursts that are going to happen that you can see and people are sort of at that like if you look at neymar is sort of that confused generation he's not in the messi ronaldo generation and he's not in the mbappe haland right, right. He's, he's somewhere in the middle and he was the only guy there exactly there weren't a lot of players in the same neymar bracket i can't think of a lot of them and so his transfer was going to eventually be that big now you've got mbappe you've got haland you've got trent alexander arnold who i'm not guessing he'll transfer somewhere but uh, he know, has the definite he, potential to transfer right you've got rashford who's you know till a few weeks ago you had greenwood right. who uh, would have been there um i don't know there's phil foden there's mason right. mount there right right there are these there are these players who fit that zone of yeah you know they're going to be really good there there are a crop of players who 3 years down the line they they are going to be you know the players the you know players, and right. you know you got foden who i'd say he's he's going to be at the same level as, as mbappe and haland you know you, you he's a very different player but you know i i i say it's a very serious battle between mbappe foden Haaland, all of these players, and I think we are we are forgetting that Vlahovic also went for seventy five million, exactly. which exactly. which was unexpected to happen in the January for a club which right. is in a bit of turmoil like Juventus. Precisely, precisely, exactly, and so I think uh, it was building up to that. You know, I think it's it's sort of been like that since two thousand twelve, two thousand fourteen, when uh, you know that broadcasting deal happened between uh, the Premier League. and um uh, sky sports and uh, bt right which was where they really started pulling the big bucks for the broadcasting money you know and then then liga bbva started and then and then you had psg the psg takeover happen and the C- and city coming in so it's been that in that football has been attracting money as is from the turn of 2010 also right right i think the football world cup in just, south africa yeah. was one of the pivotal moments that people yeah, exactly. saw that yeah even in a country like south africa there is massive turnout precisely. for big big games precisely and so i think then it starts to change like you got hyun ming song right who's bringing in a mammoth fan base from south korea right you know and so now no people are going to say right i don't mind buying uh, son hyun ming for i don't know 30% above his market value because i know i'm going to recover that from shirt sales exactly or bringing in a fan base or people traveling from south korea to the to europe are going to choose coming to the tottenham hotspur exactly, stadium or exactly. the club stadium you know so you've got people pulling that fan base in now you've got the entirety of africa behind mane and sala precisely and mendy also mendy also and they mendy exactly and support mendy. for mendy precisely and so so that's you got christian pulisic precisely precisely so, absolutely and that was not there Six seven years ago, right? You know, right. you didn't have player. Probably the one one of the examples I can think of is Park Ji Sung. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, but you didn't have those player. You it was very Europe centric. The whole game was Europe centric, and so you knew that you are going to be entering or penetrating markets that are already saturated. Right now, because of recruiting policies as well, it's it's so big 
you know that you remember the Tottenham Hotspur Markande uh, yeah. suddenly coming up to the fore. Now you got people saying, "Oh, Spurs, okay, Spurs. Let's let's see let's see what they're all about." And you know, so it's it's a very uh, trickle down effect that factors into ultimately coming up with player valuations as well. But I don't think that the Neymar transfer was single handedly responsible for hike, hiking up the market. Absolutely. I think it's, it's been like that for quite a while. It was building up to that, and I don't think it's going to sort of if only uh, the the sort of pandemic it. probably gave a break in terms of the inflation pulled back tiny bit but again jaden sancho happens and jack grealish happens and we're back right. now i think it's going to be even more clubs are going to say right we want to be the first to recover and make those big signings and kick off right so quick question who yeah. do you think can break that record do you think it will break and who do you think will break it oof I'm not sure about what the Mbappe and Haaland how many years they have on their contracts uh but my my guess is that either I, one of the one of them yeah yeah I'd say either of them yeah do, do you have a do you have do you have a number I, 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 it's not I don't think either of them will break it I'll tell you why first of all Mbappe might go on a free mm so correct. that way there is no transfer fee there is also there is only player wages and haland has a 70 or 80 million release clause so ah. i don't see teams wanting to bid so much for uh, yeah. for the transfer fee they'd rather yeah. bid for the agent and the uh, mm. all those kind of fees yeah. i genuinely yeah. think a player with the potential of trent alexander arnold or yeah. phil foden like you said or even as it hurts me to say it but mason mount mm. if at all they choose to leave their clubs Right. I feel they have more potential to break the break right. the record. I felt for a while that Plahovic could have broken the record mm. after the Haaland and Mbappe signings, and if he would have right. stayed at Fiorentina, and if he would have delivered more and more goals. Right. But I don't right. think that will happen. I don't think if he oh. has a stellar few years at Juve, we might see him move because he's only twenty-one. Right. You might yeah. see him come uh, to any of the yeah. big big clubs. Oh, it's, I, it's very interesting. All the players that you mentioned are English players, and that sort of builds up to the point that English transfers have that. The English media is also going to exactly tends to create the hype exactly. around the player, and at the same time, you know for the fact that English players will attract more money because precisely. of the environment. Precisely, and uh, any of the clubs in Europe, if you want to sign players, I don't think they will go for even more than hundred million. It's very unlikely. Mm. I mean, Europe hundred million is very unlikely. South America, I don't even think thirty-five, forty million is a big ask. Big yeah. ask. I mean, City yeah. signed Julian Alvarez, I think, for eighteen million, or this, yeah. which is which is nothing, eighteen yeah. or twelve, some million, which is absolutely nothing. So I don't see a player. Uh, I I might feel a player at up. Uh, maybe if you want to see Alfonso Davies, if he wants to leave mm. Bayern. But breaking the transfer record would be very, very mm-hmm. hard. I, I think he might break yeah. the hundred million barrier if he has a very good few years at Bayern. Right. But to break the the the, I mean, yeah. that was two twenty two million. I don't know the equivalent in in dollars yeah. in in pounds. Sorry, but it's definitely more than one fifty one sixty yeah. million. Also, I think the the players that you mentioned have have come up from the academies for all the clubs, and so there is an inherent resistance for them to to leave uh, to leave precisely. You know? And I yeah. think a player like Mason Mount, who has already won the Champions League, and now mm-hmm. if he wants to win all the other trophies, 
he would mm. rather stay at chelsea and give himself the best chance than leave and fit into a different club yeah, i think yeah, it's yeah. only when you achieve everything here you would want mm. to see your options uh, abroad and i don't yeah. th- and if he idolizes players like john terry and frank lampard i don't think he will leave i would not yeah. want him to leave i would right. like uh, if i fits in my hands i will like literally make sure that he doesn't leave i'll hug his car yes, and make sure he doesn't go anywhere i'm that yeah. that serious Yeah, I I don't Absolutely. understand a, a section of our fans of our fan base who don't like him but I mean I think that's mm-hmm. a discussion probably with a with a Chelsea uh, okay. fan for a Chelsea perspective correct uh, yeah fair. right so we're coming to the closure of the episode just one mm-hmm. final question to you yes, is sir. what is your future future game I mean CA ACCA mm-hmm. MBA in sports business management a passion for mm-hmm. sports You, yeah, I, yeah. I think I, I, I forgot to mention you also have a football academy here in Pune. Yeah, all of these uh, things you have. Mm-hmm. What's the? That's that's a question. Uh, to be fair, I ran the academy for a couple of months because of my love for the sport. Okay, it's not currently active, but okay. you know what? Maybe some some time down the line, I'd want to create a bigger. spectrum for young talent to right, come right. recruiting and you know have a tie up with somebody but that would be for probably when i have some sort of a understanding of where i am and as well right. so um i have a startup back home which we are working on it's it's very much in its adolescence still a long long way to go but we're working on that it's in the sports tech industry as well um currently um i'm working with a company out of london which does work for uh companies and banks who lend money to football clubs okay so i mean that's a very brief way of uh, putting it for but they're sort of in like in intermediary if you will okay and so and i'm really enjoying working with them i'm getting great insights i'm i i love you know getting to know how the system works so on and so forth i'm still very much at the outside of it because it's a part time job you know i'm trying to accommodating accommodate it with my um university work right but right. it's still a lot of fun you know and so uh, over here there are a lot of options to you know i don't want to restrict myself to football but obviously because of the passion for the game i'd obviously want to work with football clubs um there are entities which you know back in india we're not aware of but there are so many entities that do work for football clubs right. without being part of football club, you know running sports analytics doing project forecasting for example the kpmgs the deloitte right, right. all these companies like you mentioned you know southampton stake over the, the company that's doing that is called sports republic right right there are companies who are doing such stuff you know observing and recruiting taking takeovers and handling recruitment decisions etc so uh, the sports scene here is is amazing you know it just I, i'm still not 100% sure about the scale of it you know but it's right. mammoth i know that you know over here uh, university sport is a big thing as well you know uh, and so there, there are so many avenues to explore and so this time from now up till the end of my course is just going to go in understanding right. what the sports circuit looks like you know not restricting myself that i only want to enter this industry because there are so many bigger industries uh, you know that have an equal amount of impact you know there, there are government institutes who you know because of them indirectly football clubs are able to run the way they do you know precisely stuff like 
running ground root academy grassroot academies or just uh, having different areas that the entity has bought where people can go and play and train and they can have facilities all of this stuff the, the industry is so much deeper than just football clubs you know, they are a part of they are the final product that we see right right but a lot goes into getting there right. and so that's sort of my uh, outlook towards understanding the sports scene uh, getting to know how things work understanding where my passion lies because it's it's you can't just sustain your career by saying i love football so i'll work here but you have to like the work you have to feel love for the work yeah i can't say oh i love apple and work as an engineer there but i don't love the love job the work that you do right right you know so it can the motivation of working for an entity can only be till the novelty of you entering and getting to know the entity right, right. after that your passion for the why is important why i'm right. doing this job is how i'm making an impact right, right so the next couple of months is just in understanding the why of it right you know but yeah i mean i'm absolutely loving what i'm doing i'm i'm enjoying every minute of it learning new things doing new things like you know this this was something that we were talking about for a long time right, and i was looking right. forward to it you know and so then now today when i sit for it i'm like ah oh, this was a fun thing i did today <laughs> enjoyable thing that i would normally not get to do if i had not taken this decision of you know uh, going down this path after chart right, right right it's, it's exciting times it's daunting times but it's exciting times right right Yeah. you you turned you turned a bit philosophical there you became a, uh, you 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 became more of a career counselor when you were you know, i felt like a kid who was just cleared my 12th or cleared my graduation and i'm here ki sir now what do i do oh, what do I, do? <laughs> i felt that for Wrong a minute also i i felt a, i felt that for a minute i forgot for a minute i was doing c i i felt for a minute like let's go down this sports route as well <laughs> Yeah, but Love but it. whatever you're doing is fantastic, and I'm, I mean I've seen your uh, I mean I only followed you on Twitter and on LinkedIn. I see your right. threads. I never really felt that you would. Uh, I mean, this is something that you would end up doing, and I felt that since you were doing CA and all, I felt you would take that yeah. route, and this would just be one one thing you did on the right. weekends or did as right. as a as a, a side thing. I'm very right. happy to see you doing this, and I'm and wish you nothing but best, best of luck and all the success. And I hope that one day when I say this to all my guests who are doing something very amazing in this in the in the mm. field of sports, I'll say that one day when I'll see your poster somewhere on a billboard or on a newspaper or somewhere where oh, I'll yeah. see it, I can link people to this this episode that we've had. That initially this is this is where he started, and now look at where he is. I said this to oh, a friend of mine who was a data scientist who came on, mm-hmm. who was working as a data science uh, science student, right. came on the pod. Right. Now I can say that for you, who you are in the sports business management side of things. Yeah. So I'm very very happy that you're doing this, and I feel like uh, the very fact that this episode has gone for close to ninety minutes is the longest mm-hmm. episode, and I can safely say it's an episode where I would have to do the least editing. It's the least editing. <laughs> And for you to say this is something that you're doing for the first time, it doesn't look like it. Let me tell you that. I bet people oh, I, on I've heard people who have who are seasoned guests on episodes and they stammer and they are not confident in what you're saying. And your delivery right. and I mean the passion is visible. Yeah, if you're passionate yeah. about something, it comes out. You don't need to put on a show. Yeah. And I'm very yeah. happy for you. And I wish you all the best. And I'm very Thank happy you so that you took the time out today and came on this episode. I mean, we were discussing since 2020, and finally it's 2022 <laughs> when we yeah. finally are on an episode. 
ஒன்லிங்கிங்ஸ்ட்ரீடம்ஸ்ட்ரீடம் uh to actually you know make me realize that it's just a conversation right it's just being recorded is a part of it but it's just a conversation we're having and exchanging ideas and so you know i'm i'm yeah when when you point to that poster i'd say you know that guy who replaced <laughs> joe rogan that's you know i did a podcast <laughs> oh my god to replace so, yeah. joe rogan oh my god that is that yeah, is yeah, a, that is a, dream, and it and it is not helpful for me that his surname and my name rhyme so it's a bit of a it's written oh it's written it's written <laughs> i'm doing this i'm doing this for each other for each other yeah for each other yeah. right with that we have come to the end of an episode once again thank you so much for taking the time out and being here and i hope to see you soon and i hope that one day we can have this conversation not virtually but in person where we will record Absolutely. another another episode of all of your events that you've embarked on this journey of wherever Absolutely. it takes you absolutely right With that we have reached the conclusion of this episode. If you are if you have made it so far, thank you so much and please do consider subscribing. Uh I I mean the aim of this podcast is not to just be another reactionary podcast. I bring we bring out more and more insights and we have conversations with lots and lots of people to bring out their unique perspective to the sport that we all love. All the all the socials of Abhishek will be in this description. His Instagram, his uh, his Twitter. I will also link his LinkedIn because he posts a lot of fantastic stuff there as well. And yeah, so all my socials would also be there. All of Sid Social, who's my co-host and unfortunately not here with us today because of his preparations for another exam. He's also not here, but his socials will also be there. Like always, like every episode, Sid, we miss you and we hope that you come back very very soon. I have been your host Rohan thank you so much for tuning in and I'll catch you all in the next episode goodbye stay safe and mask up thank you